Hi. In the movie Forrest Gump, when Forrest's mother is about to die and he visits her, they have a conversation where Forrest's mother says, well, I happen to believe you make your own destiny. You have to do the best with what God gave you. And then Forrest Gump asks, what is my destiny, Mama? And his mother answers, you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Today we are talking about our response to life when certain incidents happen. In short, like Forrest's mama said, are we able to make the best with what God has given us? I would like to believe that the answer to this question can always be yes. Yes, we can find ways to get over the most difficult phases of our lives, provided we are willing to heal, provided we are willing to make the effort to heal. And today I'm talking to someone who has made a huge leap of faith in an effort to heal. This healing could be from any psychological trauma, any trauma that occurs as a result of an experience that is beyond one's own ability to cope. Today, I'm in a candid conversation with Tarushi. Tarushi is not our guest's real name. She's decided to keep her identity under wraps for reasons to maintain harmony and grace. Tarushi means courageous. The guest on our podcast today is indeed that. Courageous. Very courageous. In our earlier podcast, when we covered Sauravi's story, we realized the impact of verbal abuse on an individual's confidence. We heard from Sauravi how her mental health was negatively impacted with only one statement, Tum se nahi hoga. For those who haven't yet heard the podcast, please go to our Spotify podcast and listen to the episode, Forgive Your Father. Today with yet another story, Candid Conversations is digging deeper. It is said that there are many such stories waiting to be told. However, the purpose of bringing these stories to the fore is to tell those going through a similar situation to identify the symptoms and act soon, to seek support, to communicate, to make an effort to reach out to a support system and, and try to come out of it because its impact can even go to the next generation. We're going to understand this from Tarushi today. Hi, Tarushi. Welcome to Candid Conversations with Anshu Arora. Hi, Anshu. Well, I'm grateful that you have uh, been that Tarushi that we're talking about. 
a brave young lady who chose to speak about her experience so as to give others the courage to fight back and accumulate the courage and the willingness to heal. My gratitude, Tarashi, my gratitude. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. So let's plunge in. Um, let me start by asking you about your childhood. We discussed uh, the joint family environment that you grew up in with special mention of your grandfather. Would you please take us through that phase of your life, uh, how things appeared and they, how they actually turned out to be? Right. Um, so I grew up in a, in a big joint family and uh, it was a beautiful, happy setup. Uh, and uh, my, my grandfather was a very special figure in our lives. Uh, what, what stood out about him was how he supported my mother all the time. So my mother lost her father when he was probably in his 50s, I think. And uh, so my grandfather was the father figure for her. He stood up for her every time, no matter what. Uh, in fact, he loved reading stories to us. Um, so sometimes when we were getting bored, sometimes these were from Gita, you know, the other heavy books for us then. And uh, so when he was reading out to us and when we were getting bored uh, as siblings, uh, sometimes he would just, you know, lie through our teeth and say, Dadu, mom's calling us. And he'd say, yes, 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 mom's calling you. So, you know, mother was the ultimate figure at home who needed to be given the respect and he really took care of her always stood by her nobody could say anything to her you could never answer back to your mother so yeah he was for all reasons um, the father figure for her and uh, uh, i think i grew up thinking that you know that's how relationships are um, in joint families you know everybody stands for each other and so yeah that's the environment i grew up in Sure. So I'm going to say, I'm going to make a statement, which is um, I want to keep my maiden name. Now, when somebody says I want to keep my maiden name, what are the connotations that were attached to this one statement in your life? And what did this statement start up? What changed uh, Tarushi? <laughs> uh, strange to think in today's day and time, uh, these things happen. But for me, it was... Uh, it was the game changer, really. Uh, my husband was completely okay with me carrying on my maiden surname and adding the other name to it. Uh, my father-in-law, incidentally, had a problem, and uh, it it wasn't just a problem. It came to a stage where he said, "Either choose me or your family's surname, your maiden surname," and I obviously felt pressured and I probably did agree. This was probably eight, 10 days after my wedding and uh, my husband was on a night shift. And uh, so barely I, I, I could notice there was tension at home. He wouldn't speak to me. He started banging doors. It was just uh, an odd environment at home. So the next day my husband came back from a night shift and I asked him, I said, congratulations, your dad won and I can't keep my surname. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I still want to have my son. Just do whatever you think you want to do. And I'm with you. I support you. Which was fine. But uh, the simple fact that uh, 
you know i i didn't have a normal setup that i grew up in so there was there was stress uh, of course he went back he, he wasn't staying in the same city as me but uh, over four five years um, three four years there was no talking to me uh, it it went on to a situation where uh, i wasn't allowed into the house uh, so when we moved back to the same city where they lived um, we had to because my husband got a transfer there um, there were times when i i sat in in a car downstairs uh, because i wasn't allowed entry into that house so it it, it just went on uh, like that and i think it just just got worse with time what do you mean when you say it got worse sir? so uh so i think my husband was just trying to make it cordial for me because i was so hung up on you know having having the family live together that was my ideal situation i wanted a joint family i wanted everybody living together uh, that's how i'd always imagined things uh, so i think uh, we just thought okay maybe this is going to work and so my my in-laws moved in with me as uh, luck would have it, it it just got uh, difficult with time uh, there was no talking at home it it got uh, it it got difficult and uh, my husband lost his job at that point and uh, perfect timing as the universe would say i uh, i conceived and uh, it was just a toughest situation so i had a job my husband didn't and uh, i think uh, i got to know after a little while that he'd been abusive to his children he hit beat them up as when they were children uh, quite a lot there were neighbors who had to sometimes interfere that you know if you don't stop your your son will die and he would also beat up his wife um, these these boys grew up seeing all that uh, i think somewhere that that entire thing came back and uh, so here was a man who was controlling everything at home um, he went on to say you know or to say it but yeah he went on to say that i don't know what kind of work these women do why do they come home so late i don't know what she does for a living and uh, who don't i don't know whose child this is and it it just got really bad i i moved to my parents place and uh, i still remember the the last thing i heard uh, my husband was taking me out for dinner and he said um, so i probably left in my seventh month uh, he said i i don't care if your salary is not coming i'm not letting you stay in this environment so i was going to my parents place and so he was taking me out for dinner and uh, so he told his wife that day my husband was meeting me at the restaurant straight away he'd gone for a meeting for a job and he told his wife that yeah please please tell her to eat well uh, you know she's going to die anyways so you know god knows if she'll survive the childbirth and uh, she's going to die anyway so what did he mean that she's going to die anyway he said that for you of course he you said know, that you're going to die anyway and that you should look after yourself that you yeah he said uh, 
you know, he said, uh, tell, tell your son to feed her well because uh, she's going to die. I don't know what that means. You know, was he, was he wishing me dead? I don't know what that meant. But yes, in fact, as luck would have it, so this is a really interesting incident. Uh, my mother-in-law was, was a sweetheart. Um, she, she really stood by me in whatever ways she could. Uh, you know, she would make sure the door was closed and I didn't have to hear him so often, but he would, he would be like a maniac shouting in the house, banging doors. And uh, I, when my gynecologist told me that I, I should see a counselor because she sensed that I was probably slipping into depression. And so when I went to a consultant, uh, he asked me, how many times does your child kick? And I said, I don't know. So he says, do you realize uh, you probably, you know, if you decide to have one child, this is probably the first time that you will experience what you're experiencing. And if you choose not to have another one, then this is also the last time you'll experience this beautiful feeling. And, uh, you know, if you, if you don't work on this, so I'll have to put you on medication and that will make things difficult. Oh, that's when I realized things, things weren't exactly how they should be. Uh, I'd be lying if I say I, I haven't contemplated, contemplated, uh, you know, putting an end to all of this. And I thought, okay, let's, let's just, you know, end this all. Uh, so yeah, I've had suicidal thoughts. So I, I think what stopped me was thinking of my parents, thinking of uh, my grandparents. So thinking of my husband, how, how he'd manage. I was, I was all he had in the middle of all that. So yeah, I, I stopped. There were times when I'd be really tired from work, uh, you know, working through the day. Just give me a second, please. Please take your time. Please take yeah, so there were times when I was really tired from working through the day and I still didn't want to go home. So I would keep keep walking in the compound and, you know, till, till I couldn't move any further. And uh, yeah, I, I thought several times, let me just go to the, go to the roof of the building and jump off. I didn't, but yeah, I thought about it several times. But after a while, I, I started feeling my baby kick and yeah, I, I just thought the baby needs to live, it deserves to come to this world. And so yeah, I, I fought on. Oh. I'm going to ask you to sip a little water while I carry this on. Yeah. Um, so those who are listening, I hope you understand that um, whatever um, is being spoken today. Um, Tarashi's had a detailed discussion with her doctor before coming on to recording this podcast. She's uh, a con as a conscious effort of a healing. Uh, she's decided to take this stance of discussing all of this today because it's high time that she said that it's high time that she faces this now and and say it out loud and get it out of her system. Um, so we, I hope our listeners have understood, uh, the situation that, that she was going through. I hope you understand, uh, the trauma of, uh, 
So abuse need not necessarily be physical always. The, this abuse is beyond, beyond physical abuse. I think it stays with you, it, it haunts you and... Okay, so, so that little kick that you felt in your tummy gave you that hope, yeah? Mm, yes. To live on and that hope to bring this beautiful life into this world. Yes. But you were, but you were bottling up your emotions inside, and you were containing all these negative words, these emotions. These... I, I clearly was because a, uh, I think it's sad, but in India we we are brought up with this uh, entire thing of, you know, once you get married, it's you know you need to keep your family together, and you know you you don't need to share what's happening in your life. It's it's fine. You need to deal with it and. So I hadn't actually told my parents any of this. I hadn't told my siblings. Uh, I hadn't told anyone about this. I, I just thought, okay, this this is what I've got. This is my deal. And I got to deal with this. So why did you choose not to? Did, did, was there no confidant that you had? Was there no friend? Was there no, there must be somebody your age at work, a friend, your mother, anyone? Was there no one you could reach out to? Uh, I, yeah, I think I was just dealing with all the pregnancy bit. And I, I think somewhere uh, I shared with my mother-in-law, but poor thing, she, she'd been through abuse herself. So she probably thought that's how women live. They deal with abuse all their lives. So, and I don't know why I did what I did, but I just, just thought it was, it was normal to deal with it till I think my mother sensed, you know, there was there was something not right, and uh, you know, she said, "Why do you not speak often? Why are you so quiet?" My sister sensed there was trouble, so yeah, I think slowly, finally, when I thought it was getting too much, I did did tell them, and uh, so again, going back to my childhood, when we were growing up. Uh, if we closed the door loudly, my grandfather would promptly say, is this what you've been taught at home? You know, where are your sanskars? So we were all about, you know, maintaining that dignity at home, having a good environment, listening to good music. And here I was listening to banging doors all the time. The doors were always banged. Or, you know, things were kept loudly. It was, it was almost being done to push me to the edge. Uh, I, I could sense it. I mean, there were times when, you know, I thought, okay, and the last time when I thought I need to get away was I was standing in the kitchen and uh, I, I felt he was standing behind me uh, with, with a knife. He obviously wasn't, uh, but I just probably imagined it. And that's when I went and told my husband, I said, I can't do this, you were right. Uh, you know, it's it's fine. I don't know how you guys will manage if my salary will come or not, but I think I need to go. And, uh, you know, so then I went to my parents' place and uh, I'm in the middle of my, of course, uh, I held, you know, when I went there, it was a lot of healing. I went for these long walks and all the pampering and all the love, the, the natural environment that a woman should have when she's 
going to bring another life into this world. So that's what I finally experienced and it, it felt nice. It was beautiful. And I did tell my mother quite a few things, not everything. Because, uh, did your husband come and visit you when you were there at your parents? Yes, uh, he came and visited me pretty often. And, and what was I his guess, uh, what was his overall reaction with you? Was he supportive? What were his kind of I conversation th- he had with you? I think he was going through his own trauma. Think of a boy who was beaten up all his life, and uh, he was dealing with his own crap because um, here was a dad constantly telling him, "You're good for nothing. You can't get yourself a job. You're a loser, and you know, God knows what you're doing." and all of that, I think it just, he was back in his state of abuse all over again. And obviously as a man, maybe he felt that he wasn't doing what he should be doing, taking care of his wife and child. And so I think we were all in this strange situation, two people who'd already been abused all through their lives. And, you know, there's like, okay, we were all a part of a prison, right? Two people had already been in that jail and here I was a new person introduced into that crap and we all thought okay this is our share of crap and we need to deal with it. I look back at it and I wonder who I did it for. It was it was such a stupid thing to do. I know if I stood up for myself my husband would have you know probably got the courage to say okay yes we can do this together. Uh, my family when I told them more than stood by me but i just believed i needed to keep all that all that sham together of you know everything's good so so did your family try to pull you out of the situation in the sense that uh, break you off from that family or uh, let you and your find you and your husband uh, ways to settle outside of that negative environment uh, well actually yes as as soon as i told them they said oh, you know, you want to call off the marriage, you do that, you, you know, you do what you want, we are with you in this. And um, in fact, my husband told me, he says, uh, after, so I, again, I'll go back to, I was, um, I was moved into the labor room. Um, and here I am at five in the morning when the doctor is telling me that push harder. And for a while, they couldn't sense the child's heartbeat. And they said, what are you doing? You know, your baby is going to go away, just just push harder. And I remember suddenly thinking of those words, you know, you're going to die anyways. And then I just looked outside. It was a beautiful morning. The sun was streaming in through the window. And I said, okay, you know, I am a mother and I have to bring this child into this world. And nobody's ill wish and nobody's negativity can keep me from doing it. And Yet I was in a few minutes holding my little one. And yeah, I when I held her, I, I realized that, you know, I can do whatever I want. I can conquer everything. You're giving me goosebumps, Tarshi, but I want to tell you that I'm so damn proud of you. So damn proud of you that you fought it at that moment. That you that that was your that was your true leap of faith, you know, at that moment when you when you ignored that voice that said you're gonna die and you you took charge of your life. I think that broadly must be your turning point in life where you said, okay, let's do this. Let's yes. let's bring this life to world and 
and uh, you know well i'm i'm i hope one day when your child is all grown up and she gets to listen to this and she has the maturity to understand your perspective and uh, i i hope she's damn proud of you she's proud of you and uh, damn proud of the effort that you're making today and um, no know that 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 she was meant to be and that you were meant to be her mother and that's very important that's very important and god bless you for that god bless thank you, you. thank you so i'll come to the angle of talking where uh, i'll come to the angle where we're talking about whoa this is uh, i just listening to this is giving me goosebumps i don't know well okay let's plunge on so uh, we've talked about the impact of one's mental health uh, and how it trickles down uh, further further to generations and we've talked about you and I when we discussed this that in your case unfortunately also just went a little far yeah. however now we're nailing it we're going to heal this but it did get passed on to the next generation and i'm a parent i'm a mother and i know what that may feel like i cannot say that i understand i cannot say that honestly but i sure would like to know and and perhaps this is going to be the biggest lesson for our listeners today as to why is it important to focus on healing because uh, if it goes to the next generation it's 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 killing so we want to know uh, how you're mending this now and what is the situation we are in right so um when i was pregnant i i constantly kept asking my doctor is my child normal is everything good uh, you know am i having a healthy baby that was my constant concern because i was almost sure uh, you know something something would be wrong with the baby uh, because i knew i was under tremendous stress and uh, so when she was born and i was told she's perfect uh, you know everything's good health wise she's looking fine and she grew up like a normal child um uh, everything was good till uh, i think when she was uh, about 6 7 um, she had uh, two rounds of seizures and uh, so when when i took her to a doctor they said uh, okay let's start her on medication and we would have started the process till another doctor who i know said uh, you know have you tried therapy sometimes it works for children and uh, so i took her for therapy and i had no clue but uh, the doctor uh, found that she had extreme stress and anxiety uh, which was strange uh, but uh, i'd like to believe it it wasn't me but maybe i did pass on a lot of anxiety to her uh, when she was in my tummy and i noticed that about her she she tends to overreact to situations so uh, thankfully the uh, after she went through uh, like three four sessions of therapy when we did a test for her again um, an eeg it all came out normal and uh, she didn't need medication so it was stress so uh, she's uh, still going in for therapy once in a while uh because she does tend to get 
very anxious about situations. Uh, you know, every little thing can trigger a big reaction. Emotionally, she she tends to overreact, overattach. Yeah, so I, I guess I have passed on some of it, and uh, we are trying to correct it. Uh, you know, I take her for therapy, and yeah, she seems to be doing well. So, do you want to tell our listeners right now what, what, where should this stop? I think, don't you think we recollect if even if we just listen back to what we've just spoken, Tarashi, that that day when everything was still under control when you were in your marriage, maybe you maybe you you should have taken a stance then. Then sometimes we think uh, just when you conceived, maybe you should have taken a stance then and moved to a better environment. Maybe when this happened, maybe when that happened. Uh, we go back and we think of several situations where we could have drawn the line and could have saved the situation uh, from it becoming worse. So uh, on this journey, uh, when you did you experience uh, a, I have two questions. One, of course, uh, what do you want to tell our podcast listeners as to when should you draw the line? Isn't it the very first incidence that when you should draw the line? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, we need to tell ourselves that what what we are going through is is not normal. If we are not feeling uh, upbeat about a situation, which you should feel upbeat about, uh, you should ask yourself what's going on. Uh, you need to be in touch with yourself and not just listen to what the society tells you that. No, it's fine. You need to adjust. No, it's all right. Um, you know, for example, it didn't help that my first counselor told me, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to judge, but he was a man and he did tell me, don't you think you want to adjust a little? Uh, don't you think you're being, you know, you maybe you're reacting too much? No, I wasn't reacting. I know I wasn't. I wish I had reacted. I wish I had you know, taken a stand then. I didn't. I just, just presumed it's all right to, you know, just uh, put a good picture, not tell your parents, not not tell your support system, not tell your friends. I, I'm sure if I told my friends or my family earlier, they would have come to be by my side earlier. But I didn't. I couldn't I just... agree more. I could not agree more. It was just important. That's exactly the point, you know. Thank you for saying this because that's exactly what we are trying to to tell. Why? Why are we having you on this podcast? Why have you accumulated your guts today to do this journey, take this leap of faith? Why? Because we want to stop people from tolerating this. Not in a like I said, we're not being feminist, so we're not doing anything like that. But like you write said if something does not resonate with your gut get up and leave that thing if it's not if it's not working for your mental system you need to talk about it to someone there's no reason bottling things up because uh, like we discussed it can just it can just spill over to the next generation forget yourself for one minute and that's and that's not and that's just not what we want should happen. Exactly, and I'd like to add, uh, we say, I, I'm strong, I, I don't need help. I'm strong, I can deal with it. Well, you know what, you're strong if you talk about it. You're strong if you, you get help that you should get help. 
you know if i if i have a stomach ailment i will go to a doctor if if i've hurt my uh, you know if i've hurt a muscle i will see a doctor why wouldn't i do that if something's disturbing me it's outright stupid right i look back at it and i wonder why i didn't seek help earlier why i didn't talk about it earlier but we just think it's okay i'm strong you know i can deal with this i got this under my control no you don't not not till you go to the right person true true you've given us this one line that i think i'd really like everyone to remember you're strong if you talk about it you're not strong when you just plain tolerating it and bottling it up inside to become a volcano of emotions that have not had an exit it's important to talk about it to heal to see a professional to find a friend a confidant and to talk about it so so when you were going through this and all this was bottling up uh, i'm sure there were varied reactions being quiet angry or reactive uh, what emotional outbursts did you experience uh, and that that event this course of events anju if i look back at uh, my journey now uh... my daughter turned 13 recently and if i look back uh, finally i would say now most of the time i feel how i should be feeling you know just i'm back to my old vibrant self the girl that i was when i was growing up in that beautiful joint family i finally feel all right now but of course i still have instances for example one of the days uh, my husband wore something that that resembled something that he wore and for 2 minutes i just froze and i said could you please just go to the other room and change uh you know it, these things just i think it's all gone but yeah i i see there are little things still there and for example i i i was hoping i wouldn't break down when i was speaking to you but i did right so all of it still troubles me so oh, sometimes uh, uh recently i was i was i I'd, i'd gone for a you know i was trying some meditation and uh, so the teacher wanted to turn off the lights and uh, i wasn't comfortable with it his his form resembled this person and uh, i wasn't comfortable with it i said no please please keep the light turned on so yeah obviously trauma still remains parts of it it's, it's very little but it's still there but like i said i appreciate i appreciate the journey and i appreciate the effort and i appreciate you reaching here today this is big this is very big this is uh, as i say you've i would say you crossed the bridge today you really did cross the bridge today you should be damn proud of yourself thank you so much really, i wish i wish i could physically with you and give you a hug and you really have crossed the bridge today you have so so the desire to feel better like you said i am the same girl who grew up in that happy family where there was music played where there was harmony where mom was the leader where we were listening we were you we being told stories you being that happy girl again and i think the the desire to feel better can be a best ally on this road to recovery so tell us now um i i you know the idea today of of this podcast is for people to understand that 
you know we can talk about that dark phase as much as we can then it's never ending uh, however many details we may go to however we may probe that dark state of your life it will never end it can go on for hours but the right. reason we're discussing this on the podcast today is for people to understand how important it is to realize those very first few instances where that darkness begins and get out of it then just as an immediate reaction so i remember you know um, tarshi i was reading i was uh, i was doing a little uh, uh, it was a little uh, psychological test or something and uh, simulation creation where uh, they said that uh, let's say you put your hand on the table and uh, somebody tries to hit on it you know uh, even if you're playing like you know we often play that game you place your hand right. on the table and the other person tries to hit on it it's mm-hmm. that you place your hand on the table and somebody is trying to hit on it what's your first reaction you remove your hand right that's the first yeah. reaction and that's exactly and that's exactly what this situation is this situation is that so the moment you see that this is coming towards me this darkness is coming towards me this trauma is coming towards me i'm getting wrapped in depression get out of it don't stay there and let that hand hit you don't stay right. there and, and just get up and move move find your way because like you said this is that like that ray of sunlight right this mm. life is worth this life is worth it you know yeah. and uh, and and we have to turn this around because we need to do this we need to live this we need right. to we need to all of us deserve to be happy individuals you know people we were uh, you know the best part of us that we've experienced we need to be in touch with that at all times and we need to fight to feel feel alive every day yes 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 we need to fight to feel alive every day yes 100% so uh, what are your biggest learnings uh, on this road to recovery now and uh, what would you like our listeners to understand uh, i think the first thing is talk about it have have an inner circle uh people who really care don't judge you they they probably judge the person who's putting you through it they never judge you so don't presume they will you know just talk talking helps to an expert to a friend to anyone talk that is one thing uh, you know seek the correct help uh, you know if you don't think you you can talk everybody is not comfortable sharing things with people with family seek help uh, i think the other thing is just doing a physical activity i i would never undermine that it really does change things go to the gym go for a walk run dance sing dance do everything together just just get into a physical activity yeah uh, funny that it, this uh, funny that this started with the forest camp you know uh, yes yeah. it, it it definitely helps so when i went to my counselor and she she interestingly she said um, you have anxiety issues uh, it could turn into depression but it didn't because you're physically active you know you push yourself and get into a physical activity every day there were days when i didn't feel like it but i did and she says if you didn't do it you would have been into depression by now but 
podcast. So yeah, I've stayed at anxiety, anxiety that. I'll I'll just share a little something. You know, when I when I went through my separation and mm-hmm. um, I was. Uh, I had varied emotions all bottled up inside and something inside me said walk just get up and walk and I and I tell you uh, what happened Tarushi was that I got up and uh, I used to get up at 4:30 in the morning mm-hmm. and walk till 6:30 every day I used to walk 2 hours and I had no I had no uh, I had no fixed route I walked to a place till it was one hour and just turned back from there so that I can get back uh, because I had to leave for work. And all I did was walk, walk and walk. And I and I know in a month uh, I finished off a Nike shoe uh, and I had had sprain in my heel because I'd walked so much. But Mm -hmm. you're so right this resonates so well with me yeah walk like a maniac i walk like like forest camp i walk yeah I, I can completely understand i i've done that i've walked mad kilometers i've done all of that it really helps yeah and i just walked and there's nothing you suddenly realize that the oxygen is going in your in your system and you're breathing you and you suddenly even before you realize you're breathing back into life yes yeah yeah mm-hmm. yes so yes uh, i guess uh, that's what we're talking about how it's important to seek help how it's important to talk how it's important to to even find a a, a therapist uh, to find a friend to find a confidant and like like you said find a physical activity walk is there anything else that you'd like to recommend that's it. Just be kind to yourself. You deserve to be happy. <laughs> you deserve Just, to be happy. For yeah. All of us deserve to be happy. So yeah, be kind to yourself. Uh, you know, I've, I've learned new things at at odd ages. I've, I learned cycling at 38. Um, I got back to dancing um, a few months back. And yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm now looking at my bucket, bucket list. And I'm doing all kinds of things that I wanted to do. <laughs> So yes, live a full life. You deserve to be happy at all mm-hmm. times. Do you know? Do you know the tone of voice that you started with and the tone of voice that you have right now? It can't be missed. The graduation um, can. So I, I have a secret to tell you. When I started, I was looking at my um, at my watch. My heartbeat was one forty, and it's it's back to ninety right now. And there you go, girl. Yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm I'm <laughs> glad to get I it out. I that. I I, I, I just delivered that. another child, and <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> I am so glad. I am so glad. So ladies and gentlemen who are tuned in right now listening to this podcast, you should understand that recovery from any kind of trauma could be an individual process. And then and that we all look at and it may look different for everyone, you know, and I think your own unique ability to heal from trauma depends on on many factors, including your beliefs, your perceptions, what works for you and and how good you are at coping and your levels of resilience. But as I understand from our discussion today that, you know, recovery from trauma involves the ability to successfully live in the present. I think that's 
that's very important because i what i because if you'll keep thinking about and keep having these overwhelming thoughts about and feelings from the past i don't think recovery can ever be possible because like you said when you saw that shadow and it it looked like that person you're like okay turn the lights on so disconnect from those thoughts and recovery does not constitute a, a complete absence of memories it's not possible like you said there there are there are traces of it there are even traces of trauma of experiences that shirt that shadow it could be anything but but it it does involve placing that event behind you living joyfully like you said to that event that is no longer in control of your of those emotions you know you i read this beautiful line somewhere and it says there's a reason why the past is called the past right so yeah of course it comes back let it visit and then just wave a bye to it and move on yes yes so i hope those going through any psychological trauma find clinical support i hope those going through any negative emotion find a compassionate ear and talk about them openly instead of bottling it all up inside you know i think it's time to address our mental health our, our state of mind it's time to reach out to professionals seek therapy and break this whole taboo around it and more than that i think what this is all about is is that the first step really seems to be the willingness to heal i want all our listeners to know that today is a calculated well planned move for our guest today because she's decided to cross the bridge and inshallah you have you have crossed the bridge today and you know uh i think it all begins when you set your mind that yeah i'm willing to heal and i'm going to heal and i'm going to do it for my own sake so bravo uh, bravo really uh, i've i have no words but to say thank you For thank you and for uh, for letting me you know giving me the confidence that i i need to get out of it and talk about it you know it's one thing dealing with it yourself it's another thing to talk about it so yeah i'm glad you helped me take that step thank you so much not at all not at all you have no idea how many hundreds of people now you're going to help you have no idea and that is a true that's that's a true mature person you know when you've gone through something and you've understand the pain and the agony of it and you decide that you're not going to let anyone else go through it there's no better payback in life there's no better payback in life you've done a great job today this is big big good karma you've done today you're paying back by helping others not go through the pain that you gone through and they won't i hope we together encourage some people to stand up seek help and get out of this this bottled zone and live life and like yeah. very beautifully said we need to talk and uh, we need to exit these emotions and last and not the least like you said we have every right to live this life fully and we must on that note thank you everybody for tuning in this is one of the most profound podcasts i've recorded thank you for uh, sharing your journey with us uh, 
this is candid conversations with Anshur Aura, and I think uh, I'm humbled by this experience. And the only thing I can promise is we shall talk. We shall continue to talk. Thank you. Any closing notes? That's it. Uh, stay happy. You deserve to stay happy. Thank you, Anshu. Thank you very much. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, listeners. Today I speak with a lot of mixed emotions. My first experience of death was when I lost my father when I was 12. I did not know how to react. I was, in fact, happy that there were a lot of people who were looking after me all around me and asking me how I was. I could not comprehend the correct emotion at that moment in time. There were two more deaths of very close people that impacted me quite a lot. It's funny when it hits you. I realized that Papa was gone when I was setting the dinner table many, many days after he was he left us and I was doing the routine of setting mats on the table and then I brought four plates to place. And suddenly I realized that I don't have to put four plates. Today I need to put only three. That is the day I broke down and how. Ever since the only barometer of every task in my life has been very simple. Would my father have liked it? Whatever I'm going to do, would my father have liked it? The answer to that question has been governing my life till now. Today I'm in a candid conversation with Rajan. I want my listeners to know that today you will experience varied emotions. You will experience love, affection, grief, anger, even some percentage, some a sense of hollowness. As Rajan will talk to you about his relationship with his loving sister, Gita, who he called Gitu. He will talk to us about a relationship that was, that is, and that shall always remain. Uh, before I proceed further, let me introduce Rajan, the person, to you. So Rajan began working at the age of 17 just to be able to support his mother financially. His work life brought varied experiences from proofreading and writing articles for a newspaper supplement to being guest coordinator at trade fair to managing medical journal subscriptions for a distributor. He then joined the city group Thereafter worked with corporate giants like GE, Reliance, Bharti Airtel, Tata Group, and Vodafone over a career spanning 25 years. He called it quits in 20, 2014 at the age of 42 to focus on living the life he always wanted, a life that had travel and poetry, exploration, He's hoping to publish some books soon too. So this is the person, Rajan. We will know more about the brother, Rajan, in just a little bit. So hi and welcome, Rajan, to Candid Conversations with Anshu Arora. Hi, Anshu. 
it's a pleasure for me to be on this conversation with you uh currently in a state of mixed emotions uh listening to the way you were introducing me i went through a gamut of actually a nutshell of my life in these few minutes that you spoken about yes i am going to talk about rajendra brother more than anything else that's the emotion that i today carry during this conversation that i will have with you and i look forward to sharing the deepest moments of uh, regret pain upheaval love belonging yearning and uh, let's see how this journey goes i look forward to sharing with uh, your listeners how life is difficult and yet can be beautiful at the same time let's talk thanks rajan and i appreciate and i thank you one again this is going to be one of the most profound experiences for me and uh, i know what it takes to talk about this so like you said let's plunge right in so rajan you lost your father and your elder sister at an early age however this paved the path for a beautiful relationship to nurture as well the relationship between you and your sister geeta when i heard you speak about your sister in the last conversation that i had with you i personally as an individual i felt many emotions in your words i heard a protective big brother a pal and accommodating yet you know one of those practical fathers um in your words i heard a well wisher a travel buddy a guarding angel um a possessive best friend i heard all these things in whatever you spoke but despite all that i you know i've no words and i cannot explain how i felt when you explained the relationship that you and your sister shared please share uh, with our listeners the beautiful bond between you and geeta yes anshu geeta was 6 uh, years younger than me and uh, between her and me there was always a joke that uh, had my elder sister not passed away geeta would not have come into my life and she used to always get very upset as to why do you say that uh that was the starting point of a beautiful brother sister relationship which later on uh jorded into a father daughter relationship i lost my father when i was 12 like you said you lost your father when you were 12 so i'm there with you on that emotion i did not know what death meant when i lost my father or when i lost my elder sister my elder sister was 5 years older than me but uh Gitu when she came into my life sixth day of her birth when she was brought home i was the person she was laid into my arms i i am also the person who was the last person who saw her off when we lost her so it was it was a complete journey between how a daughter who was actually a sister but because we did not have a father it automatically automatically came to me as a role of not just taking care of her as an elder brother but also to 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 somewhere consciously know that i have to fulfill all the responsibilities of a father to a child and therefore in the journey i realized that uh, she looks up to be more as a father than a brother 
It was never understood. It was never spoken. But it was something that just happened. So when we were growing up together, we used to go to the same school. Um, after her junior classes would get over, my classes would be, you know, would, be, would be over after about an hour of her classes getting over. So she would wait in her classroom. I will finish my school, fetch her and go back home, come home. Uh, mom would have left food for us while she would have gone to work. I would heat it up for both of us, feed her, then change her clothes, make her go and sleep for a while. Then she would wake up, we will do our homework, hers first, then mine, then we play. And that's how our childhood went. As we grew older, our bond became stronger. She would share most of her life's trials and tribulations with me first and not mom. And uh, mom would usually ask me as to, okay, what do you guys keep talking about? And I will tell her that nothing, it's just between me and her. Only when we grew up a little more and she started going to college, did I actually start calling her my little daughter. And she used to just jump with her joy and laughter when I would call her as my daughter because somewhere I think what was not said is what was now being said. And I told her that I've always seen you as a daughter. Until she got married, when she got married, I did her kanyadan and I gave her away in a wedding. And uh, I mean, it was a joke in the family when the videos were watched later that the person crying most in that wedding was me and not her. <laughs> and she was the one who was telling me, yeah. brother, brother, it's okay. I'm not going too far. We'll meet up again. <laughs> so that's the relationship we had. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, uh, it's sad that I want to turn the route of this conversation to something a little unpleasant that, you know, I would like to share with our listeners that Agitu was diagnosed by motor neuron disease, MND, that is, that is how it's called. And MND is an uncommon condition uh, that affects the brain and the nerves. It causes weakness uh, that gets worse over time. There is no cure for MND, but there are treatments to help reduce the impact it has on a person's daily life. Some people live with the condition for many, many years. So Rajan, if you're comfortable, please, uh, would you like to briefly share what happened to Geetu as you lovingly call your little sister? So uh, could you tell us about this part of, of her life? Yes, Anshu. Um, motor neuron disease, as you rightly said, is a disease that is non-curable. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the world today would still not know what it means. We did not know it unless uh, until the time we knew that she was diagnosed with MND. And that's when we, we got to know what MND means. In short, this is a disease which is very painful. It uh, turns you into from, a, from an active human being. In a few years' time, if you are that unfortunate and the disease is aggressive, into a vegetable state very soon. My sister started having some pain in her left leg and she used to often talk about feeling some kind of a sensation. Uh, typically to explain it to our listeners, if you take a fish out of water and the way it uh, uh, shivers or the way it moves, that's the kind of sensation she used to get just above her uh, knee. 
and uh, you could actually feel it when you put your pulse on it, put your finger on it, and you could see that okay, there was something throbbing inside. Now that's how it began with her. Over a period of few months, uh, it spread to her leg. She lost she lost uh, movement and control over left leg. Gradually, it spread to her right leg, and then she was partially bedridden because uh, somebody had to lift her up and take her to the washroom or take her for a bath. And uh, uh, this is the way, while it was happening, and it was happening aggressively, and when it was diagnosed, we came to know that her disease was originating from her brain. The disease can originate either in the brain or in the spine, and it impacts the motor nerves, the nerves that control your body movement and all your organs, obviously. Now, because she had it in her brain, the condition worsened very aggressively, and we were told that she would not have more than three, three and a half years uh, to live. And uh, the progression, rather, from not being able to move her limbs, first the legs, then the left arm, and then the right arm, and then it went to her lungs, and there was a stage where she could not even breathe by herself. And she had to be put on a bypass machine, machine through which you inhale air and make your lungs functional, and you also have oxygen supply. That is what exactly happened with her. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Rajan, I want to share something with you that, uh, um, you know, my father, when um, he had his, uh, he, he died of a heart attack, and he had series of those. So the last stint that was, uh, you know, he was at home and he realized that he was having a heart attack. So he got up and right next to his bed on the right side uh, was a dressing table. So he got up and he put his right arm over the top of the glass, the mirror, and he held on to it and he had three jerks, you know, and uh, you could see, I could see that, and he was a tall man, and I could see him, you know, like literally fold down, you know. When I saw that happen, as as a little child also, I realized that he's not going to come back this time. So, so to see your loved one slipping away is an emotion you can never be prepared for. You mentioned you mentioned that Geetu went through her ailment for around a year, and it is after one year had passed that she told you about her condition. What crossed your mind? What was that emotional journey that you experienced, Rajan? Oh, it was a shock. Um, I, I wish I had a better word in my dictionary to explain it. First and foremost, when she told me that uh, she held this information back from me and my mom for a year was because, uh, unfortunately, uh, the doctor who had diagnosed her disease had told her on her face, most astonishingly, that she only had about three, three and a half years to live and therefore she can only pray and uh, uh, do nothing else because there is no treatment. Uh, she became very protective towards us. She did not tell us and made sure that none in her family told us for almost a year that uh, she was going to go away. Uh, why it happened that she had to eventually tell us was my repeated questioning as to what is wrong and why you're not going to a doctor or to a hospital to get a treatment and why you are in the bed 
you are completely immobile and you're just lying still that's when she told me that okay i'm going to finally tell you what's wrong with me and that's when she told me that uh, one year ago i was diagnosed with motor neuron disease and it seems to be a disease which will uh, make me a vegetable my nerves will go waste and eventually i will lose my body fat and uh, i'll be in a bad shape and i don't think it was right for me to tell you and mom about it because i know how much uh, we bond as a as a family and it's just the three of us in the family and therefore it is it will it will be very difficult for you to deal with it and she was protective she didn't tell us uh, when she said that to me i was very angry with her actually while i was shattered inside broken inside i as a brother as a loving brother as a father my first reaction was no you can't lie down like this and just give up we've had to find a way out i'm sure there's a way out there is so much involvement that science has taken place there's so much that is happening around the world some part of the world somewhere in the world there would be something that can help you if nothing else give you some more years but then when i started going into research deep into understanding what the disease is and therefore uh, what are the what are the expectations one can have of saving someone i realized nothing can be done and uh, while it was the way it was i went out to friends reached out to people who knew doctors neurosurgeons across the world one friend from uh, uh, new york got me connected to a doctor in johns hopkins uh, university and uh, i wrote an email sharing all our reports with him saying is there some possibility he wrote back to me saying my dear brother there's nothing that can be done all you can do is give her an environment of peace and happiness around her with lot of love and uh, just keep her giving hope but that's not something i can do because my sister could read me with my eyes and uh, well the only thing that have happened after that 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 email i went and hugged her and both of us cried that was the emotion that was the emotion she only asked me is there hope will i survive would i have some years to see my son grow up and become a young, smart young man and become like his mama an intelligent guy who can go and conquer the world can i see him getting married and the only answer i gave her was i will not give you false answers or promises let's just hope and pray miracles happen and then she would just look at with me with stone eyes and cry tears would flow down her cheeks that's all that happened and that's all what happened after that every time we would talk about this you know rajin uh, you and i have many things in common and i did not share any of this with you when we were having this conversation earlier uh, you know uh, my father passed away two days before my birthday and you said that a day after your birthday was the day when your gitu was gone so i as i hear you now you're talking about you being angry disappointed broken and you jumped into action reached out and you know you started working on getting that ray of hope so i guess healing from the loss of someone you love is a journey is a complete journey and i believe you have to learn to live with it you never get over this and i think uh, there is no need to get over this also if this is also an emotion and we can live with it this there's nothing wrong and i'm sure many people who are listening to this podcast uh, can visualize someone they have lost throughout our discussion 
last earlier discussions also i had flashes of my father and my uncle and aunt who loved me like their own so you know i the reason that we have you on this podcast today and the reason you and i are making an attempt to have this conversation rajan is to help people comprehend as to how we learn to live with grief would you like to elaborate a little on this aspect of your life as to having lost someone who was most dear to you how did you learn to live with grief before i answer that i'm sure i must tell you that it's a very difficult moment for me to uh, to to do to hear of uh, similarities between you and my story i'm sure there are lots of people around the world who have similar uh, comparatives whatever you call it whatever name you give it stories and uh, there are people who are who have no one to reach out to or talk to or share these stories with or somebody who can understand at least comprehend what the they went through and uh, then be able to talk about it yes my sister went right the day after my birthday and throughout my birthday the day the that day um, she struggled with life somewhere she knew and had very strong emotions around it i believe it in very strongly somewhere that uh, throughout that day the 10th of january she kept fighting with death she did not want to go that day she only went on the 11th the hours of 11th because somewhere she wanted to leave that one day where both my birth and her death are not on the same day now the grief starts from here nobody can live with grief it is very difficult for the people to live with grief grief if you go and find the meaning in dictionary is a very small expression what grief is loss of someone you love no grief is much more once you encounter somebody so dear to you and you lose that person one can't explain what grief one goes through one does not even understand what grief means one just goes through the motions of life you have to wake up because you can't sleep forever you have to eat you can't stay hungry forever you have to drink water because you're thirsty people will come and meet you that's the business of life and end of the day you'll be tired broken shattered missing someone in life still breathing you'll go to sleep tired next day you'll wake up same thing will happen with you again grief is something which is the less explained the better i went through a through to the months of uh, emotions that were very uh, unfamiliar to me i have always been known my friends will vouch for it as a person who is lively who's mostly motivating others you have seen struggles in life lost a father very early very young you were supporting your mom you knew that you had to take charge as somebody who supports both the mother and the sister these are the two women i have lived up grown up all my life and the only thing i knew the emotion that i knew was of protection when you grow up then you realize that okay you have to make money because there is a certain standard of living your father would have somehow wanted you to give to your mother and your sister now when suddenly you lose your father uh, if you are a grown up you understand what it means but when you are a child you really don't know what it is my sister when she went 
we were grown up. I knew what it meant. We were not ready for it. I was not ready for it. While I would never share it with her, but I knew that it was not in the process of living that uh, somebody who has come after you goes before you, and death takes that person before you. In all our planning for life, we always used to discuss. And my sister was very demanding of me as a father, as a, as a brother, saying, "Give me this. I want this. Would you get this for me? Would you do that for me?" And you know, I was of a person, sort of a person who would leave everything aside and do that for her because that became my priority. And here I was at the crossroads, where she was going. I knew she would go. I knew she had gone, and I was not ready because this was not planned. We all have learned that, you know, people grow old and then they go away. Somewhere you're ready. that okay sometime this person will leave me but not a person who's 39 years old who's your who's younger to you by 6 years and somebody who's going it doesn't leave you ready by any means of imagination to be ready for peace i haven't learned to live with grief i did not learn then i have not learned it now only thing that happened was that uh, i had illnesses my body was giving signals that all was not well went to meet a doctor the doctor was good enough to diagnose and tell me that okay when he had diagnosed me he asked me a few questions and the first question that stuck with me was is there any stress that you are taking then i told him my story how of of losing my sister and that's when he told me okay so you have coped with the loss in a way that your body has survived most of the impact however you need medical intervention i was put on medication for about 3 months most of the condition recovered what did not recover and what i did not understand then then was the fact that i needed some help and that's where my doctor told me do you think you can go and meet this friend of mine who studied the uh, medical science with me and now today is a clinical psychologist maybe she can help you and i kept asking him why do you want me to go and meet her when you have already told me that my sonograph is all right and all the reports are good and uh, i'm good to go he said no you go and meet her once maybe uh, then we will talk later so i went i went met this friend of his who was a therapist after my first meeting i came back met my doctor and then he then i asked him why did you send me there he said look treatments can be done for illnesses or diseases that a body is stuck with but there's a different kind of treatment that needs to be done if the stress is in the mind and that's where i think it will be nice to go and meet the therapist and see if you can talk to her and see if there's something that she can do for you and maybe that will help you handle your loss deal with this grief better this is how i dealt with my grief and i guess you're we're still dealing with it right we're still dealing with it it's not yeah. yet yeah yeah you're right yeah so you talked about also uh, another thing you also talked about being a part of a healing circle um and and i believe that helped so would you like to please share your experience and how that helped you yes so when my therapist was uh, uh when i went went to meet her the first time uh it was difficult to open up it was difficult to talk because you were completely in front of a stranger and expected to talk about as to what uh, ails your mind i was not ready to do that but uh, she insisted that i come back at a later date when i'm ready and when i think i can talk and probably um, 
open up, even if it means opening up to a stranger. And uh, she, she convinced me that sometimes it helps uh, when you talk to just about nobody, but you talk and probably some part of your stress goes out. Uh, she insisted I do that and try and think about it. I thought about it. A week later, I called her up, went and met her again, and our sessions began. So we went through that cycle. And I must tell you that uh, it's quite a nascent uh, uh, thing in India, if I can use the word in a larger context, that people open up and talk about uh, healing together. You would have heard of terms like Alcoholics Anonymous uh, and uh, Drug De-Addiction Centers. Most of these are at a very mature state in the Western world, quite nascent in India. But yes, they are throbbing in parts of uh, our metro cities, if not into uh, the smaller cities of our country. But there are people who do these kind of initiatives, and it helps people deal with their loss, their grief, their pain. And uh, my therapist introduced me to, to this healing circle, where the people from all age groups, all genders, or uh, non-genders, so to say, would meet in in a very informal manner, uh, spread, about, spread out for about an hour or so, two hours, and uh, would generally talk about uh, what they have gone through or are going through, and share it with complete strangers, and uh, everybody will narrate the story. Some would cry, some would just go numb, some would bow their heads, listen quietly. There were some people who would not talk. But uh, my therapist told me that the confidence she had ga confidence she had gained in my recovery, so to say, was such that I was good enough to share my experience with others, and probably that will help others also understand that okay, you you can uh, uh, speak to others, heal together, get out of that situation, and perhaps sharing your pain and your uh, your uh, journey with somebody else can actually heal, help heal others while you're actually going to heal yourself uh, in the process. So that healing circle was a very strong element uh, that I took away from that uh, experience, whole experience of uh, meeting a doctor, going to a therapist, going to undergoing sessions, and then coming out of those sessions as a better person. Uh, had you and me spoken, let's say, about three years ago, two years ago, I don't think I would have been able to talk to you beyond two minutes because the only thing you would have heard from me after that would have been sobs. But here I am. I'm talking to you, confident, and I feel some part of gratitude in the fact that you and I are having this conversation because I know there are a lot of people out there who are quietly weeping, quietly suffering, quietly undergoing that pain, and they have nobody to talk to. I want to tell all of them that if you reach out, you find out, you will find there are people, there are such, such circles where people heal together, sharing stories, become friends, make bonds. You may not necessarily build relationships there, but yes, when you share grief, it somehow builds a bond with others that can't be explained. And it's all right to go and meet a therapist. It's all right to go and tell somebody that you are in pain and you need help. That's what I, what, that's my biggest takeaway. And I think that's the biggest reason why you and I are talking today. And therefore, I felt it, if it helps someone, even one person in this world to understand, okay, I am suffering as well, and maybe somebody can help me, I hope this story helps them. 
Absolutely. You put it so succinctly and this is exactly the emotion uh, we both share behind this podcast. Uh, you've, you've literally said it all, Rajan. Uh, you know, Rajan, uh, my mother um, is an asthmatic. She's 80 plus today and she's an asthmatic. She's always been an asthmatic all her life. Mm-hmm. And uh, she needs those inhaler puffs. So I haven't, uh, so after, you know, I lost Papa and then, you know, I have these, uh, you know, there are some images that stay in your brain forever, like a photo album, which always flashes in front of your eyes. So I have this image of her. uh, So she had to change two buses to get to her school uh, where she was teaching. So I have this image of her uh, taking a, a puff getting on the bus which was really crowded and taking me along because she couldn't leave me behind because uh, earlier my second Saturdays were off and so was Papa's so that was my time with him so I was home with him but now there was nobody so she had to take me with her to school and Mm -hmm. her school so she would quickly take a puff just when she would see the bus in the corner and knew that it was her bus she would take a puff get on the bus you know, maneuver through that crowded bus, get off, take another puff, wait for the second buff, bus, another puff, on, off. And I've seen her, you know, deal and get on with life, bringing up her two children, me and my brother, like a sheer lioness, you know. And and when I, and, and you made a similar profound statement, when you said to me that then when you started after these healing circles, when you started talking to your mother, you realized that her loss seemed bigger than yours. Do you think it is when you accept and learn to live with grief that you start looking beyond yourself? You start seeing how others are impacted and how they are grieving. Do you see that as progress? Do you see that as uh, probably traveling ahead in this journey of grieving? Yes, that's a very important point. Until the time I did not open up and speak to my mother and speak to her about uh, losing my younger sister, I was not even aware that she would also be suffering as well. I was so self-centered so into my own self that I had lost count of the hours and minutes and days that I would have given her grief seeing uh, the way her son was shattered and not able to deal with the loss of his sister who he called his daughter. Now, when I went through this journey and I started talking in the healing circle, I realized there is somebody at home I need to speak with as well. And here's my super mom, like yours. She lost an elder child, my elder sister. She lost her husband. Then she lost a younger child, my my younger sister. And here she was all by herself, not just managing herself, running the house, feeding me, also making sure that in my most vulnerable moments, she was always around. I had broken up completely and I had no shame in crying like stupid people, as people would usually call me if you don't understand your pain. 
and at any every given moment of life if i come across something my my little sister had given me or if i found a letter somewhere in my diary she used to write to me or i saw her pictures or i had a voice samples on my phone because she had recorded songs for me and uh, sent them to me i still have start crying bitterly my mom stood rock solid now when i realized that okay i have been able to still go out and speak talk cry and get it out of my system what about her that's when i started talking to her and i realized she has suffered far far more than what i have and she is so much more stronger but for the fact that she handled herself kept the pain inside while she managed me and helped me i'm talking to you here today because of the strength that this woman had when i spoke to her i realized there was so much inside of her that she wanted to share and then we started talking and we would talk and talk and talk we did early mornings we played afternoons we played in the night going on the road on the drive and then we talked about my sister or how she felt about losing my sister or how she felt about losing so many people in life or how in what condition was i and that uh, it was only me it was all about me never about her so when we spoke about that she also had a moments of uh, should i say weakness when she cried moments when she opened up let the tears roll and that's when she told me okay this is how i felt and uh, only reason i couldn't show it or talk about it was my son you were in a much bad, worse shape than i was so it was i think it's a mother a mother is a very strong person she can handle so much pain much more than anybody else no matter how much we talk about a patriarchal society or men are stronger blah blah i think a woman is far more stronger than a man can ever be and uh, those conversations that i had with her were conversations that told me that okay sometimes you have to also take others along while you're grieving while you're in pain because uh, there is somebody who has just taken the onus of taking care of you and taking charge of the situation rather than handle her own grief she had far more pain to suffer than me i acknowledge that today she had a lot of uh, loss she had to cry for i know that today but yes because i was able to go through the healing process myself i opened up and i realized okay here is someone who also needs help not as much as i probably needed because i was much more in pain or rather a uh, degree of my expression of pain was larger but yes she also needs that help and today me and my mom are good friends great friends we spend a lot of time together we comfortably talk about my sister we don't feel she's gone we still feel she's around one fine day there will be a knock at the door the bell will ring and here she'll be standing and saying okay mom please cook my curry chawal that's my favorite food that you make or tell me brother i need to buy this new dress can you take me out shopping yes pain is difficult grieving is extremely difficult but when you start looking beyond your own self you realize that there is there are other people you can certainly help with but for that to happen you need to be sure that you handle yourself i am better off today i can't say i'm at my best self but yes i'm better off today i'm so glad you said that that you're better off today because we wish that you're always every day is is better than yesterday and you're progressing rajan 
Thanks, thanks, Anshu. Yes, you're welcome. I understand, Rajan, that you're trying to uh, keep the lively spirit of your sister alive. I remember you told me she was she's really beautiful, and I've seen her pictures, and I I'm going to be sharing that. Uh, little before the launch of the podcast for people to know who we're talking about indeed she's uh, she looks like someone really beautiful so full of life and literally this one picture of you standing uh, you know where she's standing right next to you wearing that black jacket i think she looked so beautiful in that one and almost like you you guys have shared a hearty laugh over something and you know, I, can all, all, I can literally visualize a conversation between the two of you as a fun-filled conversation you know and uh, that, that picture speaks volumes Rajan so I know that you're making an attempt to keep her lively spirit alive uh, by supporting uh, research on MND um, and I promised you that when that research comes alive and you're working on it, that I, I'll try my best in my capacity to be a part of it as well. So tell us a little about this research and, and what, what are you planning to do? Thanks for your support in advance, Anshu. It means a lot. Because uh, during this conversation, you would have realized MND is a disease which still does not have a cure. And uh, while we lost my sister and we began talking about how me and my mom could uh, keep her alive through our actions and something that could keep her memories alive and the things that we could do that could have made her happy. Uh, we spent a lot of time. I spoke to a lot of friends, discussed with them what I had in mind. We even had uh, some thoughts about uh, maybe setting up a charity trust in her name. I had also named it as Gita Smriti. But uh, somewhere I feel, uh, Anshu, I'm still not mentally ready to accept the fact that she's not there. And uh, when me and my mom were talking to for both of us, it was very difficult to go and do something in her name saying that this is in memory of her. Because we don't want to believe that she's not there. We don't want to talk about her in the past tense. So we, 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 we brooded over this point for a long time as to what can be the best best we could do. Had she been around, let's say she would have recovered from this illness and had become a, a lively, happy, and uh, smiling person like she always was, what would she have wanted if she had come out of it? And the one thing we came to and zeroed in was that she would have loved to have contributed to getting research in MND and try and see if in, our, in whatever small way we can uh, support getting our scientists or medical fraternity to go about finding a cure for this disease. So me and mom discussed and we wrote to a few institutes we thought were uh, uh, commendable in the research field, research work, and uh, we went out to them. Uh, one was in the United States, but then we realized that uh, we might not have that kind of money to support them because they were asking for a lot of money. I don't want to name them. But then, yes, they're doing some research. Uh, then we went, we, we looked around in the, in our country and we realized that one of the best known research uh, uh, and development centers in the world is the Institute of Science in Bangalore. Uh, we have reached out to them. 
they are setting up uh, some facilities they have done they have, they have got uh, teams that are working on finding and researching about uh, elements to do with human brain with the neural system uh, there's a there's a whole lot of scientists working around it but specifically for when it comes to mnd they are, they have plans but they haven't yet started so we have been in conversation with them they have committed research we have committed funding the research to whatever extent we can and uh, yes as and when they give us the green signal i will reach out to all my friends to you and through you to a lot of other people if they can contribute to this cause because i think the biggest tribute that we can give to my sister would be to find a find some kind of solace in a, by way of finding a treatment for this disease make it curable if you suffer you know you can come out of it and nobody else has to suffer and nobody else has to see a loved one go in bits and pieces breath by breath bone by bone right the way i saw my sister go over a period of three and a half years before we lost her so we are doing that uh, uh, we are waiting for the green signal from the institute of science bangalore and i am in constant touch with them as and when things happen as and when we get to go ahead from them we will be more than happy to fund that research to the best of our abilities and i'm committed to the fact that uh, i will go out to friends beg borrow steal and see if i can contribute in whichever manner i can to help support finding cure for this dreadful disease let me just tell you that you will neither have to beg nor borrow nor steal and and i promise you that the universe will come together and uh, for this rightful cause and you will see it i don't know i just hope we see uh, a breakthrough uh, soon but i guess these things take time but i'm sure uh, your thoughts are right and 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 i'm sure the universe will come together to make this happen you will not have thank to you for the belief thank you so much for the belief and also believe that you will never have to beg borrow or steal never <laughs> thank you <laughs> Rajan, it's been I've I've cherished every moment of our discussion. I've cherished these ups and downs, and what I've cherished most is the reason that that you have in mind for sharing this story of your own story. Uh, so before we conclude, and I ask you for a final one-liner of what is the message you have for others, I want to ask you a few profound questions, please. Um, these are very personal so you may want to opt out any time and tell me that you don't want to answer it's completely okay so tell me rajan what is your biggest regret okay tough one but i'll uh, the one thing that comes to my mind anshu the biggest regret is uh, i could not save my sister my daughter and uh, i was just about able to do nothing to reverse the situation she was in and uh, i still have those eyes looking at me without blinking in the hope that i will tell her that uh, we will get her back i could not answer that question to her when she was alive and i wish i could reverse that and uh, uh, do something could have done something some miracle could have occurred or be able to do anything possible to get her back that remains will remain the biggest regret of my life that i could do nothing 
to 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 save her slow down the disease or uh, hold her back for a few more years to see her wishes fulfilled just could not do anything and so that's my biggest regret and it will remain the biggest for the rest of her life till i live yeah and when is it that you miss her the most i'm sure all the time but when do you miss her the most i miss her the most uh, when i go out shopping <laughs> strange it may sound but uh, it used to give me immense happiness when she would just go around uh, swiping my card and i will be very proudly be happy letting my bank balance go down but uh, yes every time that i stepped out to buy something anshu yeah. i have missed it the most yeah. so like i told you about the many images that flash in my mind so when you start thinking about her what is the image that flashes in front of your eyes of kitu okay when she went away for a long long time i just couldn't sleep well and the only image at that time that used to be in my mind was of tears in her eyes blank eyes staring at me and her body in peace when she passed away but uh, i'm happy to tell you now anshu that now the image that i see of her and that's been for a few months now is an image of the original geetu the geeta that we knew and the geeta that had brought up somebody who was smiling dancing to any kind of music singing without knowing any or having any gyan of sur or tal happy swirling talking non stop chatting away to glory gossiping gossiping about the world and just telling me that why are you so intelligent why don't i know answers to questions but you do know and that blank look on her face after that this is the image that i have of her of yeah. her now and i'm very happy because somewhere i see it also resonates within me and my mom's uh, thinking process that maybe up there from where she is happy looking at us yeah. she's in a happy state because she was suffering so much and because the images have now become from sad images to good images happy images i feel she is in a happy state wherever she is and this is the image i carry with me now and so you have no idea the kind of joy you have given me by saying this because the moment you said the initial part of the image you have i was just going to tell you no rajan let's work towards changing this and there you went changed it up and you know like i remember my my father you know he used to laugh with this you know he used to get these laugh lines inside uh, his eyes and you know he would uh, dig his neck in his shoulder and and then laugh that's the image i have captured in my mind and always keep it like that you have to promise me rajan that that's the image you will always keep her smiling her laughing and uh, whenever there is a moment uh, you will reach out to any friend me any friend whoever but promise me you will not let that image change and do whatever it takes to keep that smiling image of her flashing in front of you always 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 forever yeah. i promise that's the image that will remain forever thank you for saying this and i'll call catch you on this in case you tell me the image is changing okay <laughs> yes <laughs> of course <laughs> so as a concluding note rajan um i'm 
I'm very thankful that you that you came here. But as a concluding note, what do you some top points, you know, some very important things that you want to tell our listeners who are learning to live with grief, Rajan? What would you like to tell them, please? Okay, I might sound a little intense here, but uh, this is something which I'm sharing directly from the process I went through. I'm able to talk to you today, as I said in the conversation earlier as well, is because I went through a process of uh, losing my most beloved sister, my daughter, but I am today at the stage where I'm able to talk about her. What I'm going to tell your listeners, all the people out there in the world who are listening to this conversation, please be, be aware that you're going through the process of grief. If you go to any medical practitioner, they will give you definitions of grief. Don't trust them. The process in itself is such, whether you like it or not, you will undergo all phases of handling grief. When I went through my own process of handling, living, coming out, and talking about grief, I realized the first stage that you go through is that of denial. You're denying that has happened, what has happened. You get angry. You get very angry. Why with me? Why her? Why now? Why again? This anger, eventually, when you cool down a little bit, translates to now you begging and bargaining with God, whoever you trust in, whoever you pray to. I went personally through that stage where I was now bargaining with my great God, saying, give her back, take me instead. Or give her whatever pain you want to give, but please reduce the intensity. I was bargaining every day. Please lessen it. Please lower the intensity. Please lower the pain. Please let her sustain. I was bargaining. Give me the suffering. Take her suffering away. And I'll give an example here. There is something in this universe that works. And I have seen it myself. My sister, when she was younger, and she had a son who was just about a year and a half old, she had smallpox. No, chickenpox. And because we know that the disease can spread very fast, she was put in isolation, and she could not spend time with her son. I went to meet her because she called for me. I was told not to go into her room. I went into her room. I saw her condition. And she was crying, saying, I can't see my son because he will also get it. And so I prayed to God. I bargained. Take her illness away. Give me the disease, but let her unite with her son. You will not believe this. This is true. I got it two days later. She recovered. And I took one month to recover. I had such intense, uh, uh, what do I say, bout of chicken pox. But as it happens, when she was dying and she was getting closer to her day, I was bargaining bitterly with God, saying, if you have done it in the past once, do it again. She has a son. She has a life. She has dreams. Give her her life back. Take me or something else away, but give it to her back like you did once before. Well, doesn't happen. Didn't happen. She went. That's the stage when you get into a very depression. 
kind of mode i went into deep deep depression my mother went into depression but she handled herself better than me as i said earlier my my condition was much worse i feel sorry that she had to go through uh, in, uh by herself but she went through that herself she took care of herself while she took care of me last stage when you are into that stage of and in grief is when you actually accept the fact that it has happened you have gone through it and there is now yearning for you to get out of it start the business of living again you know very interesting things while i was trying to handle myself all these months might find some people might find it boring but it is there written in our books in our testaments in our uh, holy men who have said it in the past you know the first uh, nobel truth that buddha had shared with the world that was all is suffering what he meant by that was our life is fraught with pain and misery even to the extent of explaining it to his disciples he said even if even a happy and content moment is beset with painful awareness that this would also come to an end what he meant was everybody will suffer but the only way out of suffering is self help first accept it then you help yourself get aware about this condition that you are in try and help yourself we are all unique individuals not one medicine can treat us all not one therapy can help us all not everybody will go to a therapist not everybody will get support from the family self help is the most powerful tool you have once you know what you're going through take that take action on that bhagavad gita chapter 3 verse 5 i've read it many times but now i realize the importance of reading these marvelous books bhagavad gita chapter 3 verse 5 says no one can remain without action for a moment what is an action an action is something which you do why do you do something you do it because of a need how is the need derived from it is guided by by what brings us brings us to the transformation that we need to change from the moment we are in to the next moment we will be in and these transformations happen step by step because no one can remain without action for a moment also means you have to come continue with the process of trans- transformation leading from a state of sadness to a state of cessation of suffering to then eventually arriving at a state of contentment acceptance and eventually finding happiness till the time we live that is the only thing i want to tell everybody who is listening to our conversation right now once we have achieved this stage trust me it will be much easier for us to handle pain come out of pain and probably be in a condition or situation where we will be able to help others trust me there are enough people suffering around us trust me one helping hand is is going to help not one but a chain will develop and eventually we will all help each other my only purpose of doing this conversation with you was to tell you not just the pain the suffering that i went through that you have gone through but also to commend you that uh, you have taken this initiative and you were not just talking about people's pain to your talks but also sharing your own grief while you're helping others heal with it mind you we are all healing while we are talking we will all heal if we listen
that's all about i want to say thank you rajan that's one of the most profound closures we've had to our or any of our podcast so far thank you very much i cannot pray that uh, the people do not experience loss and grief but i really want to pray that people get to that stage of yearning to get out of it and they get to the stage of living with it peacefully and they get to the stage of accepting life and living it uh bringing that joy back in life because uh, that's exactly what your loved one would have desired for you and absolutely that's exactly what geetu desires for you and your mom for her son for her family that she has left behind thank you rajan this has been the most profound podcast uh, i have been very brave uh, for uh, all the earlier 13 podcasts rajan but let me tell you this one made me the weakest but i'm um, holding my ground strong <laughs> and uh, i god bless you yeah god bless you too and god bless your mom and god bless geetu's family thank you rajan uh, i want you to keep smiling travel all the world send me support postcards and if you need to travel buddy let me know and you owe me and i owe you a big cup of coffee together so once our podcast is up and running we meet and then we discuss uh, life ahead on a happy note thank you so much kanshu for giving me this opportunity and god bless you a million times the work you're doing the help you are extending to the unknown world to people who don't have a voice people who can't talk but certainly can listen i hope this reaches to a lot of people and somewhere people realize yes there is hope end of the day thank, thank you for this opportunity once again and to it i'm delighted talking to you thank you rajan and thank you listeners this is kandy conversation with anshurora and i've had the privilege of having rajan with me on the talk today thank you rajan thank you everybody thank you goodbye goodbye